Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be here this morning. And I was thinking of like, um, after having our son, like, man, I feel like I've been gone for a while. And it's like, well, this is our first in-person Sunday service anyway. <laughs> so like, kind of been gone, but kind of, uh, you know, still been a part of things. But it's been weird, but I'm excited that we get to be here this morning together and getting to actually worship in person. It's always a good time. And so um, super excited to continue our series, Therefore, where we're diving in to the book of Hebrews. And today we're looking at uh, Hebrews 8 in its entirety. And the whole big thing that um, want us to get today is that because Jesus is our high priest, he is more than worth following. So I'm going to pray before we, we dive in, but that's the whole thing. If you get one thing out of today that you leave with, one phrase, one point, is because Jesus is our high priest, he is more than worth following. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning that we get to just come together and, and just worship you um, in person today. It's, it's a gift. Um, that we get to do this. And so I just pray, God, that we make it count, that we learn from what you want to teach us today through Hebrews 8, and that we just continue to recognize you as our high priest. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I kind of forgot I have my mask on. Um, <laughs> getting used to that again. Uh, but if you know me at all, you know I'm a huge Cardinals fan. I, I, Cardinals baseball. Ooh, yeah, there's a few, few woos in here. But what you might not know about me is when I was a kid, I was a Cubs fan, which is like the nemesis of the Cardinals. And so you might be wondering, like, like what? How, how, are, how are you a Cubs fan and then jump ship to the Cardinals? And I'll explain myself of why. So when I was growing up, I loved Sammy Sosa. Who, who even knows who Sammy Sosa is? Okay, more, more people than I thought. Uh, he was... He was an old baseball player about 15 years ago um, when he retired. Uh, and growing up, I used to love watching Sammy Sosa. He was my favorite player, was known for hitting home runs, and he'd have like that little hop step, and then like the little, after he'd hit a home run, he'd be like, you know, like that thing. And I mean, playing wiffle ball, I used to model that. Like if I hit a home run, I'd do the little Sammy Sosa hop and bat flip and round the bases and do the same thing. Um, <laughs> but I was devastated though in 2003. Um, if you see this next picture, it's a broken bat. Now you might be wondering why am I showing you a broken bat. The broken bat inside was a corked bat, which some of you are like, what's, what's, what's a corked bat? Well, some of you know <laughs> what a corked bat is. And this is the famous Sammy Sosa cork bat. And what's a big deal about cork bats is um, what they would do is they would replace the wood center with, with cork inside to make the bat lighter. So baseball players would be able to swing the bat faster, harder, and give themselves a little bit more of a reaction time. Um, because like obviously standing up at home play, it's pretty fast when someone's throwing a 100 mile an hour fastball. Well, he cheated. And to me, that devastated me because my favorite player in the MLB did something he wasn't supposed to. Multiple times because he also got caught doing steroids. Uh, <laughs> this, this guy devastated me. 
Um, and so as like this all happened and things were going on, I discovered St. Louis Cardinals had a player by the name of Albert Pulhos. Now, most people should know Albert Pulhos because he still plays today. Um, he's been playing for um, over 20 years now. But this guy eventually became my favorite player and he, he still is my favorite player even though he's not as good because of his age. Um, because of how humble he is, because of how good he used to be, and um, when he was a first baseman on the Cardinals, I was a first baseman, believe it or not, um, <laughs> when I was playing in Little League. And um, I just modeled my game after him, had the same uh, batting stance, I um, had the same number. I mean, it was so much so that one year for the All-Star team, I went to go grab a jersey with, with that number, and the coach had already reserved it for me because he knew that <laughs> that's how much I love that number. Um, number five, if you're wondering. And so that's how much I love the Cardinals and Albert Pulhos and, and how things had shifted in, in who I liked um, in baseball. And while Albert Pulhos is now a part of the Angels, I still enjoy getting to catch up with him and, and watching how he's doing and hopefully going to hit 700 home runs. We'll see. But I think it's similar when you find something worth following, you don't want to jump ship as easy, right? Like if maybe you're, you know, you have a certain team that's like, your, your go-to team, and even though they might stink, you're not going to jump ship on them because you care about them and you want to see them do well. Or maybe, you know, you have a certain shampoo that you enjoy using for your hair, and even though there's other products that are cheaper and, and say they're, they're better quality, you still, you're so loyal to this certain kind of shampoo that you're still going to buy it regardless of what the price is, you know. And so I think when it comes to Jesus, what we need to know is that Jesus is more than worth following. Regardless of what the world tries to throw at us, he is more than worth following. That's what these people um, that, that the teacher was writing to in the book of Hebrews, that's what they were facing is like false teachings and things that people were trying to do to, to tear these converts away from following Jesus. And what he's writing about is, hey, there's this guy who literally went to, to die for you on your behalf and now he is more than worth following because he's continually restoring you and making you new. And so I want to start off with a little bit of background. Uh, basically a 30 second, here's Hebrews 1 through 7 and then we're going to look at Hebrews 8 today. Um, but the Hebrews 8 gets into this explanation of this claim of how Jesus is the high priest and more than worth to follow. So the first seven chapters of Hebrews are dedicated by the teacher, basically as saying Jesus is greater than like the angels, Jesus is greater than uh, Moses, the Torah, he's greater than Joshua, he's greater than even Melchizedek. And so Jesus through all these chapters is described as this high priest who's supreme over all creation, right? And in the future, we're going to read that um, the church that the teacher is writing to was facing persecution for having a faith in Jesus. 
and they were, um, you know, Jewish people who converted to, to knowing who Jesus was. Um, but the big deal is the teacher writing these things of how he's greater than all of these people is, is to them, you got to think, like, you've been raised your whole life hearing about these different characters in, in the Bible. And so, like, these are, these, are, these are like legends to them. Like, you know, we have people who, who you know, are, are a big deal to us, whether it's like musicians or artists or, ba you know, baseball players, basketball players, you name it. We all have these people that are a big deal to us. And when people say there's another person that's, that's even higher than them, it's like, no, what? You, you, gotta, you gotta make a, a, you know, a presentation or, or you gotta explain yourself of why, your reasoning, you know? Your reasoning of why they're greater. And so Hebrews 1 through 7 is, is basically this big deal of like, hey, he's greater than these people. And what we're gonna, in this next phase, we're gonna see is, is basically why we should follow Jesus. Why he's greater. And today we're gonna look specifically at what Jesus' priesthood offers us. And so if you have your Bibles, um, we're gonna be in Hebrews 8 this morning and dive in. Um, the verses will be on um, the screen as well, uh, but I'm going to read from my Bible. The High Priest of a New Covenant. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a High Priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned uh, when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, and I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them the greatest for i will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more by calling this covenant new he has made the first one obsolete and what's obsolete outdated will soon disappear and so in this passage we are hit or punched in the face right away in verse one when um you know if you had any questions at all about the leadership and authority of jesus he, he the teacher just comes right away and says, uh, talks about how Jesus, who serves in this sanctuary, or Jesus is the high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne, the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the law. 
not by a mere human being. So Jesus, his priesthood is huge. And through this chapter, what we're going to discover is there are three things we see that Jesus' priesthood offers us. The first is that Jesus' priesthood offers a better sacrifice. That's, that's the first thing it offers. In verse 3, we read that um, in, in, in this letter, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. And so what was, what was the sacrifice that Jesus offered? It wasn't an animal sacrifice that, people, that the priests of the you know, old covenant would offer, or the priests, yeah, in the old covenant would offer. But Jesus was far better because his um, sacrifice wasn't something that continued to happen. It wasn't like every year, you know, the high priests are making this sacrifice for, for everybody, you know, to cover their sins. Jesus, as the high priest, was a one-and-done thing. He gave his life, even to death on a cross, to offer a sacrifice to take our sin, our shame, our regret, all the darkness from our lives. He paid it once. And three days later, he showed that death could not hold him at all. And he sat up, walked out of the grave. And to me, like, it's, it's just mind-blowing to think about this guy who is, who is dead. I mean, literally dead. Um, you know, if you, if you read Jesus on the cross, like, they stabbed him in the side, and, like, all the blood and water, all that good stuff spewed out of him. And so, like, there's, there's no way... Only, only God in the flesh could sit up and walk out of the tomb. So he defeated death. That's what his sacrifice did for us. Defeated death that we deserve. And so for us today, to me, that seems like a better sacrifice. Right? He's the high priest that offered, offers a better sacrifice. So the second thing that Jesus' priesthood offers is a better temple. In verse 5, we read that Jesus would not be a priest if he was here on earth still. Does, does anybody know why? So priests, based out of the Old Covenant, was reserved for people from the line of Levi. Jesus was not from the line of Levi. And what we re read last week is that, um, very similarly, uh, Melchizedek, he was a priest before there even was an order on priests, right? And Adam talked about how, you know, we don't read a beginning to the order, we don't read an end to the order, and so there's, there's no beginning and no end that we know about. And so Jesus, very similarly, in the temple that he serves in, in the New Covenant, there is no beginning and there is no end. So he's priest over everything. He's priest forever. The temple of old was a copy and shadow of the eternal temple that Jesus is serving now. He's a foretaste of, of what's to come. And so the one of the best thing <coughs> sorry. One of the best things that I could think of to illustrate this point is who's had an authentic deep dish pizza from Chicago? Like, heart of Chicago, most of us, right? And so, 
for us, you know, obviously we're not in Chicago right now, right? Like we're four and a half hours away from Chicago. And um, like not very many places probably serve a good deep dish here. I remember I went to a Chicago's Pizza in, uh, um, oh, what's it? Like Spencer Owen area. And um, their deep dish was like just an extremely thick crust with like sauce and cheese on it. I was like, that is not a deep dish pizza. But the closest thing, like, when, 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 because if you've had a deep dish pizza, you know that the cravings happen where it's like, man, I just want a deep dish pizza. And so the best thing that I, that we've found is there's a frozen pizza that you can find that I think is uh, Gino's East and it's pepperoni, or I don't know if they might have some different options. And like, it's pretty good. But it's not as good as a deep dish in the heart of Chicago. If you've been to a real Gino's East or Giordano's in the smack dab center of Chicago, you know that's the best place to get a deep dish pizza. And so the frozen pizza is like a foretaste. It's a shadow of what an actual deep dish pizza is, but it's not a real deep dish pizza. And so for, for us, when, when we think of, of this, of following Jesus, we need to know that even here right now is a foretaste. It's a shadow of what's to come when Jesus comes back and he completely restores us with the new heaven and new earth and we get to dwell once again like the days of Eden. Jesus' priesthood offers a better temple, one that we can enjoy getting to worship face to face with Jesus. That's a big deal. And then the last thing that Jesus priesthood offers is a better covenant. We read that Jesus priesthood offers a better covenant than the covenant the Israelites had. This covenant was built on better promises and promises that lead to restoration of new life. And so, you know, you might be wondering, like, like the teacher writes how, you know, if there is nothing wrong with the old covenant, then there would be no reason for a new covenant, right? And so you might be thinking, like, why, why would there be, like, something wrong with the covenant that got offered or a faulty covenant? You know, like, like to me, that's what I think of. Is like, why, why is that a thing? And so the thing for us to know is he didn't offer a faulty covenant. The covenant that the law uh, was given to the people was to reveal their sin is to reveal they can't rule and reign on their own, right? I mean, we, we read the whole Old Testament. We're finding out in our small groups of God's redemptive story is regardless of how hard Israel tries, which isn't very hard, um, they continue to rebel and seek their own rule and reign, even though time after time, God is like, just figure it out, like, I've done this for you. I've created this beautiful place for you. All you have to do is turn back to me and follow me, and I'll get you to where you need to go. And time after time, Israel is like, no. We're going to do our own thing. And sometimes that's us too. That's why we need Jesus. And we need to constantly be pointing ourselves back to him. And so Paul writes in Romans 7, verse 7, on this, about the law. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. 
In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. And so the, the law reveals sin. And unfortunately, the people continue to rebel and rebel and rebel, choosing their own way over God's way. And then we get into um, the uh, uh, prophecy from Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. And if you know the time of like when Jer- Jeremiah's prophecy were going, there's all these different prophets. You know, we hear the word minor prophets of like Habakkuk and Haggai and, um, uh, you know, the pro- prophets of like Nahum and Ezekiel. All these prophecies or prophets, um, most of them happen before this time of exile, and others happen after, very few happen a little bit after exile. Um, but Jeremiah's prophecy happened right before uh, God ended up sending people into exile through the Babylonians, because not because they didn't have a chance to turn back to God. He gave them all the chances in the world, even through these letters, and he's saying, like, you don't turn back, you're taking yourself into exile, pretty much. And in the middle of Jeremiah's prophecy, he, he talks, um, you know, about this day of a new covenant found, um, um, you know, that's going to be so much better than the old covenant. And this was 600 years before Jesus. This is a big deal. Jeremiah was getting these words from God to prophesy to the people, and talking about this new covenant, even, the people still said, you're crazy. There's no way God told you that. Get out of here. And they still led into exile. But God ended up bringing the people eventually out of exile and leading into Jesus, our high priest. But this prophecy that Jeremiah is talking about, he's talking about how this new covenant is not just going to be, you know, basically the same. He's talking about how it's going to be transformation from the inside out. The Torah that's going to be written in our hearts. That's, that's scripture. The, the Bible being written in our hearts. It's going to transform us. So this new covenant is not a covenant that's meant to reveal sin or be a thing that's continuing to make us like be like, hey, you know, you got to give up these sacrifices. You got to do all these things. New covenant is restoration. It's healing. And it's offered through Jesus. Following Jesus truly transforms us. And the cool thing is that a little bit of Jesus is in you and in me through the Holy Spirit. We give our hearts to him in full surrender. When we follow Jesus, we truly get to know him. We read the Bible, believe it or not, we get to know who Jesus is more. His word is written on our hearts. And it makes us new. And it transforms us into the creation that God is making us, creating us into. And so when we follow him, there's a deeper intimacy with Christ. Because the new covenant that Jesus gives us is far better than the old. He forgives our wickedness because Jesus died in our place, he knows our sins no more. Um, I was reading a book the other day. I cannot, just trying to think. I think it's, yeah, in the Ragmuffin Gospel. Super good book by Brennan Manning. If you ever get a chance to read it, you need to read it. 
Um, but there's a story, I don't know the full details, but um, there's a story in there that uh, talks about how this guy goes to this lady who says she prophesies and basically thought she was cuckoo, even though she wasn't, um, and says like, hey, next time you have one of these visions from God, um, ask him like about my sin and, you know, see if he'll reveal to you what, what things that I'm, I'm going through and doing. And she called him up after she had this vision. And um, he asked like, well, what, what did you say? And she said, he doesn't remember. He doesn't remember. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he forgave you of everything. He forgave us all of our shame and regret. And that's part of living in the new life and the new covenant that Jesus offers. He remembers our sin no more because he paid for that price on our behalf. Our slates are wiped clean. We live in his love. We let him transform us. The last verse in Hebrews 8, um, the, the, the writer or the teacher writes, by calling this new covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Jesus came down from heaven and lived a sinless life as a human so that as the high priest, he could offer up a perfect sacrifice, his life, once and for all. And on the third day, Jesus showed off uh, against death and, and, you know, death couldn't even hold him down and he rose from the dead. Now he sends his Holy Spirit to be within all of us when we come to him and come to a, a relationship with him. And when we do this, we continue to transform our lives and become the beautiful creation that he's made all of us to be, the new humans that he's made us to be. Jesus is more than worth following. Regardless of what happens here on earth, following Jesus will one day lead us to experiencing heaven and experiencing earth and, and God's dwelling place reuniting once again like, like it did in, in, in Genesis in the days of Eden. We get to live with him for eternity, saved, loved, redeemed. That's how beautiful and amazing Jesus is as our high priest. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these students who have chosen to spend their morning um, getting to worship you here. And I thank you, God, um, just for students all over campus who choose to be in a relationship with you. And I pray, God, that, that now, as we go, that we would let your transformational power lead us to showing others that transformation as well. You as our high priest, God, you are more than worth following. I pray, Jesus, that we just leave it all with you. That we take up this new life that you're offering us. That we recognize that your sacrifice is, is better than the old covenant. That your temple is better. That your covenant, your new covenant, is better. You saved us all. I pray, Jesus, that we embrace that. Embrace the grace and forgiveness that you continue to show us that we would do the same with others. It's your name we pray. Amen.